Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Pushkin. Hey, Eddie here. Before we get started, I wanted you to know that you can listen to Car Show ad-free by becoming a Pushkin Plus subscriber. You'll also get access to detours, bonus episodes of Car Show where we go for extended drives, play outtakes, and more. Find Pushkin Plus on the Car Show page in Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm. In some ways, the most important cars in the world are our first cars. These were the cars that gave us our first real taste of freedom, not to mention our first taste of the late-night Taco Bell drive through First cars are important enough to us here at Car Show that we're going to mix it up this week and do a couple of interviews with two of our favorite polymaths, Lake Bell and Rob Corddry. Lake and Rob are actors, writers, directors, and voice artists. To these multi-hyphenates, we add car people. They're going to tell us about their first cars and how formative they were to their lives and careers. I'm Eddie Alterman. On this special Hollywood episode of Car Show, we delve into the automotive lives of these two committed gearheads. First up is Lake Bell. You might know her as Agnes Adler in the movie It's Complicated, or as the voice of Katrina Peanutbutter in Bojack Horseman. She also wrote and directed the film In a World. Lake's car enthusiasm runs in the family. She grew up in Florida and New York, and her dad, Harvey Siegel, is a collector of Shelby Cobras and Special Fords, like the GT40 and the Shelby Mustang KR. In our conversation, Lake talks about everything from the car that sparked her obsession with Italian metal to finally mastering the manual transmission. But first, we play my favorite parlor game, Guess That First Car. 
do you mean the first car that I purchased with my own money or the car that I was generously given from my father? The car that you were given from your father. Okay, so that tells me something. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Did you start driving in New York City or in Florida? Florida. Okay. Uh, Was it domestic or import? Import. And it was your dad's car? No. Lease. A lease? Okay. Give me three guesses. BMW 3 Series convertible? No, sir. To this day, I'm just, I'm not a convertible person. But you're kind of going in the wrong direction, to be honest. Really? You're giving Harvey too much credit. (laughs) So, Honda Civic? No. Warmer? Warmer in the sense that it's less exotic and less sort of rich kitty, but still, (laughs) but little, a sprinkle of, I mean, there was a great privilege in the car that I have. It's getting tough. Well, let me, let me say this. I mean, if you're a father and you don't want your daughter getting in a, in a bender, you know, a fender bender or whatnot after a bender, what, what would you want her to drive? Would you want her to be in a, in a two door? No. Would you want her to be even in a sedan? Probably not. If you're really neurotic and you're Jewish and you're from New York, you're going (laughs) to want an SUV. You want to put some metal around. Yeah. You want her a little higher up. So was it a Nissan Pathfinder? Closer. See, now you're in the pocket. Now you're in the zone. We almost got that one. Toyota 4Runner? Okay, there he is. Got it. Yes, I got it. Okay. (laughs) 4Runner, that's a great choice. He got me the 4Runner and it was, boy, it was terrific. But I will say there was one kicker about it, which is just ironic, really, given that it is the 4Runner. He got the two-wheel drive. Well, you were in Florida. You didn't need Yeah, but then I ended up going to Skidmore for a year. And let me tell you something, upstate New York, uh, I I bought a lot of kitty litter for the back, uh, (laughs) for the trunk. Let me tell you, didn't have a cat, didn't have a cat. But um, you you put snow tires on it, right? Uh, You know what? We put, there was like a lot of talk of putting chains on the tires, which, you know, the 18 year old version of myself, I was like, I, I don't know how to, I don't even know where to begin with that. Like, I don't know, like, who am I going to go to? I don't want to do it. It seems like a big, you know, because then you would drive into the city and all of a sudden you got chains on your tire. And when I'm supposed to take them off, yeah, you just take them off. I'm like, I'm not taking, no. So it was, it was more just like bricks and kitty litter in the back. Smart, smart. I was 18. Listen, I, you know, I ended up leaving and going to England. So I left at 19 to go to England. And that's where I have my first car that I actually purchased because I've collect, I saved up some money. I had $2,000. So that's going to help you figure out and guess what I consider my real first car. Okay. Um, So was this a car that you could only get in Europe? Um, I mean, no, but the thematic of the UK is heavily at large here. Okay, so a Mini? Yes, sir. 1987. Oh, wow. <laughs> and at, at the time, I didn't even drive stick. So I had this like real kind of um, block against driving stick because driving in my family was such a thing. Yeah. And like, if you're not going to drive, you know, how dare you not drive stick? And, you know, there was just such an onus on it that I was rebelling by saying, I'm going to buy an automatic. And um, if you think of like a 1987 Austin Mini, 
that's automatic. I mean, that's like a go-kart. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's basically true. a golf cart. Right. And you were in London. It's super parkable. That's a big kind of spectrum to go from. I know. I know. But it, I mean, in, in the UK, a mini is like an SUV. I mean, you can fit 10 people in there. I know. They're huge inside. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I really, I mean, I was 19 and then 20, 21. I, I spent four years in London and that, that red mini was like integral to my existence and my lifeline to my social life. I mean, I was the only one with the car. So, you know, everyone's like, I'm going to take that car. <laughs> we'll get in. <laughs> so do you, you were like the designated driver. Always. That's sort of unfair. Uh, yeah, but it's cool to have wheels. So, you know, you, you give and you take. Yeah. Did you get the knowledge of like how to get around London? Because, you know, cabbies talk about that. Oh, yeah. We had um, I had my A to Z map. You would just have to look up where you're going. So you, you go in the back and you're like, OK, I'm going to Shropshire, you know, like Boulevard, you know, whatever. and then you go S.E. 12 or whatever. And then you have to look it up and figure it the fuck out. And then you came back to the U.S. Was the forerunner still there? No, no. We sold the forerunner and then I moved to L.A. And then I had to, again, I had to borrow money for this one because in, in, in L.A., again, I was like, oh, I can just, you know, sell the mini for like seven dollars and then and then, you know, get a car in L.A. But of course, my dad was like, you drive in in L.A., <laughs> You can't have a small car. You know, he's like, you need a proper SUV. You know, like he had a real thing about like kids and SUV. I want to talk about your family. I love that imitation of your dad. So he's a Brooklyn guy. You know what? He's a New York, your quintessential New York gentleman Jew. So he has, um, you know, we, my brother and my sisters and I all kind of uh, amp up his plosives and whatnot when we do an impression of him because if we didn't it just wouldn't be as fun but <clears throat> you know you know the key you know Ford GT40 you don't want to it's low to the ground he that's how he speaks and then my mom has like a really sort of like the opposite of whatever that is so she has a very sort of um soft-spoken um you know, sort of more quintessentially kind of waspy sound. <laughs> so it, they have a, a real vocal cocktail. And speaking of, of sounds, I mean, often when I think about cars, I grew up with um, be on race car tracks my whole life um, because of my father, uh, Harvey Siegel, who owned and restored Virginia International Raceway, um, as well the as- The best track in the U.S.? Best track in the I U.S., as you know. Uh, yeah, you should. You should. <laughs> um, but I'd been going to like Lime Rock and, you know, the Poconos and, you know, just, I mean, but really VIR and and then New Jersey Motorsport Park was also his. And so, you know, he had been an, an amateur racer and a very serious collector for my whole life. So um, this relationship I had with cars really stemmed from, you know, the car world was the way in to connect with him in many ways. It, it's just, that's his, that's like his other children, you know? And so it, there were times where it's like, oh, I didn't really know how to access and have a deep conversation with him, but he would take me to the Javits Center to the auto show and we would walk around. And um, those are really important moments, you know, cause those are like kind of my main connection point. And 
um, he enjoys telling, you know, his children the the kind of history of of certain cars, the great kind of melodramatic stories of racers and and why, you know, why Porsche is cool and and or why it isn't, you know, yeah. and why he prefers Fords in general. The smells and the experiential kind of connection that I have to automotives in general is just you know, it comes from this place. And then now I've taken on its own life within my own sort of experience. I had the same sort of experience with my father. I got all these Talmudic lessons through the car business. You know, he was so into cars and I inherited that from him, but that's how he like taught me about the world. Absolutely. I mean, cars are touch points for indelible moments in our life. There's a nostalgia and a, a sort of visceral kind of the smells and the sounds and the way the leather felt or the way the, the, the fabric felt or whatever it is about a car that really reminds you, oh, God, that's when I went to Skidmore or, oh, God, that's when I lived right on Creek Road, remember? And, you know, and so there's utility involved, obviously. There is efficiency involved, but then there's also just like, God, that's your conduit to getting anywhere. You know, yeah. it's a privilege. Like not everyone gets to have a car. It, it, like it still ends up being this thing that's that's special, you know, whether you're a, a single mom of five kids, you know, and you need that goddamn car. Or if you're just like, I have dreamed of this 246 my entire life, you know, and finally made enough money to get it. There's this kind of magic of self-guided locomotion, right? Self-directed locomotion. There's nothing but when you're like driving and in control, it's incredible. It's an incredible feeling of power. There is a sense of sacred privacy, the sanctity of that cocoon that you've earned that can take you places. I mean, good Lord, it's magic. You know, it's that's why I say it's a privilege because we often forget and we take it for granted. But I mean, that's why there's so many times where you're driving and you're in the car and you're listening to a song and a song comes on and you're like, I could drive to Oregon, you know? <laughs> and there's something about, you know, like you're not gonna do it, but you could. Yeah, exactly. The promise of the maybe. <laughs> Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on the storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. 
Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at chabacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. How do cars inform character? Like, one of the coolest, I thought, car character matchups was in It's Complicated and Alec Baldwin's character driving that blue 911 Cabrio. I'm like, of course. Well, I know. And you know what? It's like, for instance, there was um, in in a world I, I had to have, I had to have like a certain kind of 90s Corvette and it had to be maroon. It had <laughs> to be maroon <laughs> like like metallic maroon for my dad in it played by fred melamed who is like the king right the, the best huge yeah. melamed fan and i have a whole scene in there where you know the father who's just not considering his daughter at all um says you know i'll take you there and of course there's no back seat in that model right so she's like there's a whole there's story in that <laughs> of like yeah, like if we get into an accident, like you're you're cooked. <laughs> like there's no him. seat for you at this table. Okay. <laughs> all about him and that sort of like maroon car. It's like, no, it's not red. No, it's no, no. Maroon. No. Oh, it's got a metallic. Who would have a red Corvette? Like you can't no. have a red Corvette. That's totally cliched. I have a maroon Corvette. Yeah. <laughs> that nineties color. Burgundy, uh, maroony. That maroon. Love it. Um, so anyway, those are the kind of things where I really enjoy when I'm making a film or, or you know, creating a character. I do think about it a lot. Um, I think it says in the same way that the, the wardrobe says a lot. You know, you can you can paint a picture of what someone's morning routine might be like and what they're doing off camera if you can know what they are donning or what they are driving. What, what are some of your favorite movie cars well i mean look scorsese goodfellas for me was a really good car film i mean there's just something about those massive bodhi um 60s 70s caddies the eldorados and the biarritzes and the you know the there's such balls (laughs) like to take up that much space for two doors you know you're like 
Yeah, like tiny inside, huge on the outside. Yeah, like I'm taking up some space. You know what I mean? Like it's just a little, but it's 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 perfection. And so grandiose, right? Like remember in that scene uh, where she's like, "Oh, I thought that you know these the wives would be so fancy." But they were all like wearing those rayon blends. That's what yeah. those cars were. They were not like European GTs. Yeah, and I, which I really, and yet I understand and see the appeal in it. I mean, uh, I have looked into purchasing one, <laughs> but um, you know, I I wouldn't kick one of those out of bed. But um, I, you know, because also there is something so unbelievably um, sort of whimsical and wacky about the color schemes they had in that day. It's like all white on white and then bright cherry red interior and it's like that was just yeah that's factory you know like this, you know that's like, some wild shit i love it i love it it's got such um personality and now it's like uh what kind of gray do you want so when you were growing up did did your dad teach you how to drive on the track so i was terrified of speed I'm still not a massive speed demon. I'm more interested in the kind of Tetris driving, I call it, which is like city driving where it's like, oh, this person's going over there. Okay, I'll go over there. You know, it's like, oh, I see you. I see you. Okay, you're up my ass. All right, watch this. You know, it's like, I, I think I, I probably would be more interested in like rally driving, you know. Um, but that said, um, my father did teach me to drive on a, a KR 500, so a King of the Road 500. Oh my yeah. God. He's a big really? Shelby Cobra guy, yeah. And, you know, I, my relationship was good with him, but I mean, that's a lot. Because remember, I had the whole like hang up about manual um, when I was a kid. And so I was just like, oh shit. Like, you know, he's, I'm just going to fucking fuck this car up. You know? <laughs> was it a test, you think? Like, he was saying, like, honestly, this is, it, it's cars is where he shines, right? So, like, he really, was like, all right, kid, you know, like get in there and let's see what we can do. And we were out in the, in New Jersey at our, our country house. And that's where his like uh, mechanics live and where we have a big garage of, of toys. And um, we were on like a gravel road and we were in the KR and he's like, go ahead, give it a go. And I was that's like, mayhem. it's that's mayhem. crazy. Throwing it in first and then boom, bing. You know, just like back forth, back, just like such tentative clutch touching, like not, oh, got stalling, you know. But then, of course, it's like once you get it into first, it's like the torque on that thing is like insane. You could throw it in third and you're fine, you know. Yeah, like, in third. like, so explain what the KR is. You're like in a Mustang, like beast, basically. And it's like, I mean, it's called King of the Road. <laughs> I think, you know, when you're coming out with balls of steel like that, I think you understand exactly what we're dealing with. You know, it was complicated sometimes where, you know, it felt like there was such an onus, as I said, on manual shift and all that stuff. And I would talk to my brother about it who did race. And I'd be like, are you, I mean, I just feel like, I don't know. I can't. He's like, you can do it. Like kids in fucking rural whatever driving stick, you know, they're like 14 year olds driving stick trucks everywhere you know to tend to farms like you, why are you making this so neurotic and so eventually when i was a big kid and grown up i found a mini 
a secondhand mini that had all this like um it was a cooper that had a bunch of aftermarket shit on it and it was lowered and i was like but it's a mini like why is it lowered they're like i don't know the guy some guy from devo owned, owned it i was like really? really yeah it was really cool oh that's amazing um, i know so immediately i was like well yeah i need to buy this so um i went to this dealer in La Cunada like it was really far from my house and I took a cab there and I fucking got there signed all the paperwork uh and the guy gave me the keys and I said listen I don't fully know how to drive manual I've only done it once on a KR <laughs> and and he's like like not at all and I was like well could you just give me like a parking lot tutorial, you know? And he was like, yeah, okay. So then we're just in the parking lot with this random guy. And we just, um, you know, I, I, he gave me some hot tips and I, with, because it wasn't like the onus of my cool driving dad, I just was like, I felt more comfortable in a way, you know, to just do it. And I drove it off and I, drove out got right on the highway and went home and i just thought oh my god i literally was talking to myself i was like okay it's at the rpm now you know and so that's that became my mini for many many years you know and so because i had this this connection to the mini because it was my first car and because it was like god my formative years in england like you know those are the years like 19 20 21 22 you know like that's big deal. So I, to have it again at like 26 or whatever, you know, one that I earned because I was like on TV shows and I could buy a car now and, and yeah. it's going to be a stick, damn it. You know, it's like it was a real kind of moment for me. See, I made it. I made it. I got my fucking lowered <laughs> mini that hits on like every parking lot I went into. It'd be like scratch, you know. <laughs> but it's also like the antithesis of like a Harvey car. It's not a, like a big exactly. block Ford. Exactly. It was like I had to define my own journey, automotive journey. So what was sort of like your spark car? You know how birders talk about having a spark bird, like the first bird that they like fell in love with and got them into it. Is there one for you? Yeah. I mean, I got a lot of spark cars. Um, you know, I, when I first saw a Lamborghini Mira, I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I, I, I just was like, am I, am I dating that car? <laughs> like, did he, is that car throwing me rhythm right now? Like, you know, I just was like, <laughs> what is happening to me? Um, it seduced you. It seduced me. And there was something about the Italian cars of that era, the 70s um, kind of shark cars, I call them, where they're just, they just, you know, they're dangerous, but you love them and you're intrigued by them. Um and they probably break down a lot. I don't know. But, you know, it's like the Detomazzo and the, you know, the kind of these these beautiful, um, very sexy uh, Italian. You know, I love uh, Italian culture. So for me, I think that really sold it even harder to me. I was like, so then I started learning Italian just so that, you know, one day. But I also love the Cinquecento, I, the, the original. I saw them on the track and they were so damn cute and all with such great personality and senses of humor i was like i can get into this so just to go back to it, it was like there's a sense of humor to the mini so i think that's what i was gravitating to i wasn't like oh i want to be 
you know, sexy, you know, badass girl yet. I just wasn't there. I was like, I'm still a kid in some ways. And I just think this is cute. And then the the mirror was just like, wow, I'm going to be an adult one day. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> Those are really interesting polls, right? You know, like of I know. Italian car culture. And then, of course, it was like the Pantera, you know, the, the shapes were 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 appealing, you know. And so impractical. And there's, you know, yeah. in, uh, in Kill Bill. Um, oh, yeah. Bill drives a Mangusta. He drives a Yeah, the Mangusta is amazing. Just the wheels, the way they, like, they're punched into the body and they're just like, oh, just oozing. Just I mean, animal. I would kill to have a Mangusta. Pheromones. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, this is all kinds of wrong and give me the keys. <laughs> you know? know. Like the worst car to drive. So unreliable. But so unreliable. Cares? Okay. Lightning round. Three dream cars. Well, you got me onto the Mangusta. So let's do okay. a little Mangusta. Let's get a 246 okay. in there. And then I'd like a Pontiac Trans Am. You would with the screaming chicken? I, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I Listen, I like a car with a sense of humor and with a whole, like I could build a whole character around it. You know? Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah, Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. If anyone has a Pontiac Trans Am with the fucking bird and all, <laughs> call me. Uh, my friend Alana, who writes for Current Driver, she's got one. It's brown. Oh, I love brown. So sick. Yeah. I mean, listen, I got to talk to Alana. Maybe she needs to let me uh, <laughs> take care of it. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on the storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase, NA member FDIC, 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Next up, Lake's friend and now mine, Rob Cordry. 
You probably know Rob from The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, where his stand-up segments bristled with manic energy. Or from Hot Tub Time Machine, which is maybe the best movie title this side of Snakes on a Plane. He's brought his ink-black comedy to shows like Ballers with The Rock, and now the latest American iteration of Top Gear with Dax Shepard and Jethro Bovington. Their new season launches July 1st. We spoke with Rob about his first car and those thereafter. Why does the Trans Am always keep coming up? Thank you for being here. You're one of my favorite closet car geek, but now you've, you've outed yourself with your top year experience. So. Yep, I've co- finally come out. I've had the um, courage. You know, all my friends are like, what are you talking about? You're not a car guy. And I was like, I met you in New York. Like, I, I lived in New York for 12 years, and I kind of dropped the whole car thing because there's no need for it. And I don't know, I just kind of lost the fire. But then when I moved to L.A., it, it's, it's, you know, fast to rekindle. Oh, yeah. It's a car show every day in L.A. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I admire your bravery. My dentist invited me to his um, Cars and Coffee. Everybody's got a car show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I want to take you back to the beginning. Okay. And, um, I Googled this, so it was no, uh, you know, process of, you know, divination. I just figured I should do a little research and figure out what your first car was. Um, it was a 1975 Ford Pinto wagon, white with the woody walls. Um, a right piece of shit. <laughs> and, and now this, this is a car that had a reputation for exploding if uh, a bird so much as shed on it, right? Oh, yeah. Well, you know what I was fond of saying? Because I loved that car when I had it, right? Like, it was my first car. I got it for five bucks, you know. Um, <laughs> five bucks? Five bucks from this old man who just used to drive it to the dump. And he just, you know how, like, you need a bill of sale? Yeah. Well, he actually collected the five bucks that usually you just write down, but he was really by the book. So he was like, <laughs> and $5, please. So I actually bought, bought it for five bucks. And um, yeah, the, it wasn't the wagons apparently that were famous for exploding. Right. And, you know, I did a piece on this. It hasn't aired yet. It's going to be in our third season um, about, the Ford Pinto and its tendency to explode. And it's sort of a tongue in cheek piece, but it was greatly exaggerated to say the least. Yeah. yeah, American cars were losing at that point. You know, all the great muscle cars were sort of fading away and they were all being smogged out of existence. Like all the powers being choked down and you had like the Trans Ams were making 110 horsepower and had, you know, oh, God. Oh, I drove one of those, man. I drove on a, I drove for, for Top Gear, like uh, 1978, like the Smokey and the Bandit car. Screaming what, chicken. What a piece of shit. I mean, it was a gorgeous museum quality car. The guy had done beautiful work on it, but he was like, yeah, try not to take it above 55 because it'll overheat. It just spent the whole day overheating. Yeah. I mean, the best one of those in the world is still an unmitigated piece of crap. Yeah, it's too bad. It's too bad. But uh, I want to talk more about that Pinto, because, like, do you have any memorable adventures? Oh, yeah. In that? 
yeah. So I loved that car more than anything. I would go into, you know, whatever the East Coast equivalent of an O'Reilly's is and try and like, what am I going to do to this car? And there's nothing. I don't know what I'm doing in a car. I had no idea. I'd end up getting an air freshener or something. And I had a girlfriend at the time. I was very much in love. She was like two years older than me. She was in college, you know, and and I used to take her out in my car and it was a wagon and it came the guy was the guy, the old, the older, older than the dirt, man. This guy could barely walk. And he was like, and if you notice here in the bed, we've got, um, you got a left a pillow and a blanket there for you in case you want to take a nap while you're driving. <laughs> so, so yeah, I used to park uh, with my girlfriend in the cemetery. A built-in boudoir. Only guy that had a pillow in the back of his car. That's for sure. Um, an old man's pillow. And, um, it used to. But that relationship were, didn't last. No, she cheated on me. She cheated on me. Now, forget. No, she probably cheated on me with somebody else's car, really. It was probably that car that killed it because the floorboard on the passenger seat was completely rusted out. So every time we went over a puddle, which in Boston was significant, like they were everywhere, she would get soaked. <laughs> she would learned to like just put her feet up on the dashboard when we went over a puddle <laughs> and uh, i would like to drive by my old house growing up right now and see if they've paved over the holes that car left in the driveway because apparently oil is a corrosive oh. i had no idea there were you know two inch deep holes in that and i had that car for maybe two years burned a hole right in there amazing yeah it left its uh, mark do you have like sort of memorable associations with moments in your life and and certain cars those cars were long before i even realized that acting was a job that people could do you know growing up in weymouth massachusetts um it's like 10 minutes 15 minutes south of boston um you, you there wasn't a job that people did you, nobody ever left Weymouth and let alone became you know you know became uh, movie actors or TV actors so it took a long time for me to realize that was an actual goal uh, so I would say it would have to be if I had any car connection to my career it would be that my wife and I uh, when we were living in New York I was on the Daily Show and um, I inherited, her father had died, and I, we inherited a, what was it, 94 Corolla five-speed, another piece of crap and a long line of crappy cars I've had. But that car, man, I lived in Brooklyn. The Daily Show was on like 55th and by the water, like all the way, as far as you can get away from Brooklyn. And I used to race myself every single day. And if I caught the lights right, I could make it home. I think I made it home once in 12 minutes. <laughs> and my friend Jim, my friend Jim said, uh, hey, can I get a ride home with you? He was just like, live right down the block. And I was like, you can, but I want to warn you, you're not going to enjoy the ride. <laughs> it's it's going to be terrible. Um, I drive like an, an a-hole. And he was like, ah, come on, 
come on, I'm an adult. And, it, and he's just gripping every handle in the car. I didn't hit a brake once. It's like when you're driving in New York, there's taxi driver rules. You don't look behind you. No. You just turn switch lanes. It's it's one of the best driving environments in the world. It, it really is. I if mean, you know how to do it, if, you, if you're confident in the taxi driver rules. You cannot hesitate. You can't hesitate. Yeah. When I... Um, I constantly cut into long lines to get off uh, here in LA because everybody, they're not great drivers in that they're very careful drivers. They're very courteous to a, to a fault. And so they'll be waiting in a long line to get off the highway. And I just scream right down to the very end of that line and just cut someone off. And I call it Brooklyn, it Brooklyn, it Brooklyn, it. <laughs> I love that. I mean, do you think, um, Legalized marijuana has anything to do with it? It's like not helping. The melanin in uh, LA. Yeah, it's it definitely doesn't help. No, you know? I mean I think the richest experience of, in New York is behind the wheel of a car because you're so stressed out and you're just it's moment to moment and yeah. you know you kind of I think cars are about context in some way like you sure. know that piece of shit Corolla is like maybe the best car for New York City. It's you don't care about it for sure. No, and you're gonna get you're gonna be rubbing and dinging it up, and oh yeah, you don't care what happens to it. It's, I mean, do you remember all those no radio um, signs? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. You know, the the car was just sort of like um, a delivery system for the radio, and yeah, people would smash windows and just grab those like. Yeah, I had an ashtray full of change, and that was my mistake. So my window got smashed and they just took like $4 and pennies and nickels, you know, and a couple of very valuable quarters in, in Manhattan, you know, the, the quarters are like, you know, although have you ever heard of the universal life church? It's one of those like sort of matchbook churches that you just, you, you become a, a minister just so you can marry people. Oh, my daughter just did that. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay. A lot of people. I actually married our friend uh, Lake Bell. You were the officiant. I was the officiant. Yeah, I didn't marry them. Um, so I did it originally so I could get the parking pass. I got a minister parking pass and a um, little thing that, you know, what do they call those things you clip on your rear view mirror? The um, a little thing that said pastor yeah. on it. And I had an official yeah. thing with a gold seal on my dashboard. So if I parked in Manhattan anywhere near like a block or two away from a church, I would never get a ticket. It's like a diplomat plate or something. Exactly. It, it, and, and it worked. It worked. I parked for free in, in Manhattan for years. Like the Daily Show was right near a church. So I just parked anywhere. Incredible. That it's is incredible. So worth it. That is, that's like uh, what the kids call a life hack. That right? it was life hack before there were life hacks. Yes. I wanted to talk about how after you branched out into directing and started to think about kind of the bigger picture of filmmaking, I was really interested in how do you think like cars inform character? Like when you're setting something up in like the production design or whatever, it's, how do you approach it's, that? It's very, very important. And it's very difficult to, to convince a line producer, the guy that's in charge of the schedule and the money and the budget that, you know, you need a, a 1987 GNX 
you know, you just need it for this, for this character. It's, it's, you know, or, or, you know, or whatever the car may be like, you have to be on like a ballers basically because ballers, it's like story came second to, to the cars, the sneakers, the, the, the watches. Um, You had a a McLaren on that show, right? I had now, unfortunately, I did not have a McLaren. I had one of those BMW i8. I8, right? So I8. It's like the fake McLaren. <laughs> it, 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 they tried a, they tried very hard to look like a McLaren, and you know that car gets a bad rap. I, I only got to drive it a couple times, but I, I got air in that car. It was fun. It was a super cool car. I mean, yeah, it was. I mean, it didn't last long, but. But I, I I enjoyed it, you know, the, the very little I got to drive it. That character started off driving a Buick in the season one because that's the car that Peyton Manning drove. And Spencer, the Rock's character, basically had to explain to him that that's just a sponsorship deal, man. Peyton drives a, a Corvette. He doesn't, doesn't drive a Buick. And I was like, oh. So then the next day I had the I-8. Nice. You know, and so then just, uh, yeah, it was a long stream of pretty good cars. I, it's so many that I can't really even remember. The best one was the car. My, my final car in that show was a DBS, a big 12-cylinder Aston Martin. And, oh, my God, what, what a car. I mean, heavy as you felt the weight of that car as you were driving, um, which was kind of a hindrance. But it was such a beautiful it's such a beautiful, I'm, I'm a, I've been an Aston Martin fan, a reluctant Aston Martin fan ever since, just because I'll never be able to afford one. <laughs> and I mean, that's great character development right there from the Buick to the I-8 yeah. to the 12 cylinder, you know? Yeah. And yeah. those cars have that secret handshake, that smell, like when you get into them, yeah. you feel like you are in some English drawing room, you know? It Absolutely. Just- it's like, um, yeah, every car from the 70s has a certain smell. And those Astons have, they smell like money, man. And they're, I've luckily somehow finagled my way into becoming the Aston Martin guy on Top Gear. Nice. So whenever there's a new Aston Martin, I get to review it. I just reviewed the DBX 707. Awesome car. Uh, I was very surprised. It's an awesome car. Um, the Vantage, I got to, you know, which, Every time I want to buy a car, I price, I build and price a, a Vantage online. And it's just, it's never going to happen. It's disgusting. I mean, like, you know, somebody was saying that uh, $100,000 is the new $40,000. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, I forget, like, it. it's upwards. If you really want to spec one out correctly, it's almost 200 grand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I can't justify that even, even if I had, I'm a character actor, you know, I'm I'm a working man for hire. I I can't do that. At a very high level, but no, I understand what you're saying. It's like, I think those are just cars for traders and for them, like 200 grand is like buying a sweater or something. Yeah. And then they just keep it in their garage and they're, you know, they put a humidifier in there and whatever they do. I don't know what they do. There's a cruelty to that, you know, the people who want these things the most can't get, 
near them. But it's, yeah. you know, Top Gear, like me, you know, my whole job allows me access to these things. And I'm sure mm-hmm. Top Gear is the same for you. How did you come to be on the show? <laughs> right? Um, no, well, I, don't, I mean, I, like... Not, no, not it's a- true. I mean, it's true. I, I, since I got to L.A. Um, in 2000 six five or six i have been basically monopolizing my press time by saying that i loved cars because i was really started to get back into cars and i was able i you know you you have to buy cars when you're in la whereas you didn't in new york and um so i was able to sort of exercise that you know there's I was never able to lease cars before and boy, just have a car for three years and then you can have another great car. It was just awesome. And, um, and so, you know, I basically just planted it in the press and it was really just so I could get press cars, which didn't really work. And then all of a sudden, you know, 15 years later, Top Gear called they were like, we're, we're going to have three hosts, of course. Dex Shepard is already on. We want you to be the second one. And I was like, I didn't even let them finish their sentence. I was like, you can go through your spiel, but the answer is yes. It's the best gig in the world, right? It really is. I mean, it was terrifying, you know, because I sort of on the show represent the um, sort of the everyman, the enthusiast. You're the Pinto guy. I'm the Pinto guy, right? Yeah. Jethro and Dax Shepard have a lifetime of car experience. And I just, you know, like looking at them and driving them and kissing them and licking them, you know, like I love them as uh, a, a museum goer loves art. And, you know, I, and so I am that, I'm, I'm, I represent that. So on Top Gear, I have become the guy they put in very awkward, scary situations. And now they're like, okay, we're going to fill up uh, your car with packing peanuts and you're going to have to drive around this track. And I have like basically a little tiny window and all these peanuts just sort of really uh, susceptible to gravity. <laughs> and, and it was just, and I hate peanuts to begin with. Uh, those packing peanuts are like a, a phobia of mine, basically. Really? They didn't even know that at the time, but they were thrilled. There's this thing about like that show where the cars really are a prism, you know, for the relationship between yeah. the three hosts. And, you know, what what do you what was a, a kind of memorable thing for you in those seasons where the car was really sort of, for lack of a better term, that that kind of vehicle for the adventure for for what what like a car that really said something about what you were trying to accomplish well i think it was probably my first real real victory i mean i decided that if i was going to have any uh success on this show and i mean success in terms of winning races and that sort of thing and challenges it was going to be because i chose the best car for the job yeah you right. know and i would actually just do research and I would spend days trying to figure out what the right car is. Whereas those guys were like, I'm just going to get a car that I want to drive. Interesting. And invariably just choose the wrong car. Um, (laughs) So it was a, it was like an off-roading race to get to the top of this hill. It was made out of like lava rock 
basically this big, pretty big hill. And we were in Arizona somewhere and it was gorgeous. And I'm sort of an outdoor guy. This is my sweet spot. And so I chose this um, forerunner, one of the older forerunners, you know, with all the chrome, I forget what year it was, but locking axles. Uh, or locking it was the perfect, perfect car for this. And Dax had one of those um, aftermarket four wheel drive kits in a, in a Ford van, the Econoline van that, yeah, they were this famous aftermarket thing. And when he presented it, I just smiled. I was like, it's going to break. It's going to break. It's breaking right now as we're talking. You should get in there and drive it. And uh, what did Jethro chose this? I think it was like a also four-wheel drive aftermarket, big tires. It was like a Subaru. It was like a WRX or something. But it was totally tricked out for off-road. And he did fine. You know, he had the speed for sure. But I had all the power. And my first victory was not only getting to the top of the hill first, but then going back down three quarters of the way down the hill and towing Dax all the way up because he, he had put a waterbed at the back of his. So I also had this big knife on my side, this big Bowie knife, and I got to take it out and like slash his waterbed. Just compound the humiliation. Yeah, it was, it was the best. And he was just bummed out the whole time. It's, it's, kind of hilarious that like you know the actor comedian is the most pragmatic when it comes to the car choice for the challenges well i mean you know i guess i guess that's that's an interesting comparison because i mean the way i uh you know approach comedy it's it's to me they're like people say oh would you ever do a drama and i'm like well yeah sure it's the same thing to me i i approach it this i you know, put together a character the same way I did for, you know, when I was doing Shakespeare years and years and years ago. Um, I, you know, you, I build the, I want there to be a light behind my eyes. And yeah. so, yeah, I am very pragmatic when it comes to making choices and acting and on Top Gear, you know, in cars. Yeah, I, you super intentional about it yeah i made one really bad choice and i it's kind of like because i was just in a bad mood i think and i just shat out my choice and i ended up with i forget what the challenge was but i ended up with a a saab 900 (laughs) and and that car just i ended i gave up at one point i was like no i'm out here you guys go i've got a whole theory about saabs and guys who own saabs please tell me oh they want to be car guys so badly but they just don't know what's good. Well, this was also like, I just didn't know what to choose for this particular challenge. I don't even remember what the challenge was. And, and one of the, um, one of the producers, Dave was, he, he would like suggest some cars. And I just took his first choice because he loved sobs. He's the kind of guy that loves crappy cars just to like love, you know, just to be that guy. I don't want to offend you if you own a Tesla, but I feel like. No, come on, man. We've been talking for 42 minutes. So you, you think I own a Tesla? I, I knew better than to assume. Jeez, please. <laughs> oh, my God. My wife won't even get a Tesla. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but what do you have now? You have the 911. And- I got rid of the 911 because I was ordered the Bronco. I ordered the new Bronco. And I've been waiting for it for two years. So I finally just lost interest in it. 
and I canceled it. You know, uh, it still wasn't in production. Yeah. And, um, you know, cause I ordered, uh, the wild, um, was a wild track. And, and of course the, the hard top moldable roof, which is impossible apparently. Yeah. Like you're seeing Broncos out there, but they're all soft tops. And, uh, so finally I just canceled that. And now I've got no car. Really? I mean, I've got, I've got cars, but you know, my, my, um, 1978 280z is not a daily driver you know my sprinter is not a daily driver uh and i'm waiting basically uh for my guy to uh send me a bunch of um i finally see i've never had i've never had a uh an m a bmw m i've never had an amg and i've never had a v a cadillac v okay but i've driven all of the I've driven like a bunch of CTSs and a bunch of ATSs and stuff. And so finally I decided, you know what? Now's the time. I'm going to get the new Blackwing. Blackwing. I mean, first of all, how cool is the name? Blackwing. A Blackwing, man. So sinister. Yeah. And then it's just phenomenal. I mean, it's one of those. I can't wait. It's one of those like new digital cars that feels analog. It feels, it's so good. It's so like nuanced and like it's got titanium rods and the shifter and they just went all out on that thing yeah yeah that magnetic damping and <laughs> so all that it's like um if he has trouble finding one that is even close to my spec i'm gonna be heartbroken i think you need that i think i need that too rob this was amazing thank you so much for oh, so much fun man it was just so good to talk to you I've, I've oh it's so great i uh, i love talking cars Car Show is written and hosted by me, Eddie Alterman. It's produced by Sam Dingman, Jacob Smith, and Amy Gaines. Our editor is Jen Guerra. Original music and mastering by Ben Tolliday. Our executive producer is Mia Lobel. Our show art was designed by Sean Carney and airbrushed by Greg Lefevre. Our patron saints are Lital Malad and Justine Lang. And be sure to check out Lake Bell's forthcoming audiobook with Pushkin. It's called Inside Voice, My Obsession with How We Sound, and it comes out this November. Car Show is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you love this show and others from Pushkin Industries, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted listening for just $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.